We began last week a discussion of the kingdom of God. And I want to expand that just a little bit uh, this evening. And um, we'll do a little review from last week. But first, I want us to understand how important uh, the kingdom is and why we would study the kingdom. And we'll get to more and more of this. But first of all, you know, the kingdom pertains to salvation. And there are many things in the Bible that are well established. But first and foremost is the salvation of our soul. Matthew 16, 26, Jesus said, or he asked the question, What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What will you give in exchange for your soul? There's nothing more valuable. So that's why we want to spend a little extra time on the kingdom. We want to understand God's wisdom in bringing the kingdom to the earth. And we want to understand the Word of God. By understanding the kingdom, then the Bible makes more sense to us. Now we'll get to, uh, if the Lord wills, uh, different misunderstandings about the second coming of Jesus. And those are great teachings. And we'll get to those, hopefully. But let's focus a little bit more on the kingdom of God kingdom of God. Now last week we endeavored to talk about the definition of the kingdom of God. And if you'll recall we said that a good definition of the kingdom of God is that it is the expression of the reign of Jesus in our hearts. Okay. Kingdom means that, that a territory is being ruled over. Well, the territory, as far as Jesus and his kingdom goes, is our hearts. Colossians, Colossians 3.15, we noticed last week. Let the peace of Jesus rule your hearts. Jesus rules over us through his word. That's why he preserved his word, so that we can use it and allow him to have the rule in our lives. So that's the definition. You can't have a kingdom without a king. You can't have a king without a kingdom. God's kingdom today is the church. Okay? But it's not a building. It's the people who want to have uh, Jesus ruling over their hearts and lives. Okay. Last week also, if you'll recall, we wanted to understand that God intended to set up his kingdom and he did set up his kingdom and we noticed sort of a time frame in reference to that. We noticed how that Jesus and John the Baptist and even Jesus' apostles would preach about the kingdom while they were on earth and their, their message was repent for the kingdom of heaven is what? At hand. At hand. And then we skipped over into the letters of Paul and the writings of John and noticed that they wrote as if the kingdom was already in action. It was already established on earth, which it was. Okay. For example, in Revelation 1 and verse 9 last week, we know how John wrote. He was on the Isle of Patmos 
and he said that he was there because of the word of God and that he was a partaker of not only tribulation, but also a partaker of the kingdom. Okay. And so uh, we notice the kingdom already set up. And so then we noticed how you can trace it out. Jesus promised the kingdom certain clues or certain uh, things would happen as the kingdom was beginning to be set up. And we trace that right down to the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Okay. And then we notice how that Jesus is now reigning. Several passages referring to the reign of Jesus. When did Jesus begin his reign, his rule over the church? When did that happen? After what big event? Yeah, after his ascension upon high, his resurrection. Okay. And then after his resurrection from the dead, 40 days on earth, and then he was ascended up on high. You read about that in Hebrews 1, 3. He ascended up on high and he sat down at the right hand of, of the throne of God, the right hand of the majesty uh, on high. So I want to expand this just a little bit uh, with you uh, this evening. If you're thinking in your mind or if you're taking notes, think about five columns, okay? Think about uh, the kingdom in prophecy, the kingdom in preparation, the kingdom set up on the day of Pentecost, That's, that would be your third column. Your fourth column is the kingdom as a present reality right now. And then the fifth column will be the kingdom um, in perfection, the kingdom e eternally, eternally. And so I want us to walk through each of these columns, each of these phases, if you will. Okay. So let's start here. The kingdom in prophecy. Okay. Did the Old Testament prophets prophesy about this coming kingdom. And let's turn over to Daniel uh, chapter 2 right quick. Daniel chapter 2 and just review for ourselves some things that we have probably read about Daniel's prophecy. Now Daniel was serving under what king? Nebuchadnezzar. And what did Nebuchadnezzar experience in order to bring, bring about this prophecy of the kingdom. Who remembers? Hmm? A dream, that's right. A very unusual dream, but he wanted somebody, and Nebuchadnezzar called all his advisors and his magicians together and said, I want you to tell me, first, tell me my dream, and then tell me the interpretation of it. What an impossible thing. Okay. Now, somebody may tell you your dream, and you say, well, this means that, and this means that. Okay. You're not going to have a clue about that. But you could play with it. But now, back in those days, they really did have dreams and interpret them. And Daniel was one of them by the hand of God who could do that. Daniel was able to tell him what he dreamed and then the interpretation of it. Okay. Let's pick up in Daniel chapter 2 and about verse uh, 31. Daniel 2:31. Daniel said to the king, You saw, O king, behold a great image, this image mighty and of exceeding brightness stood before you, 
and its appearance was very frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and its arms of silver, its middle and its thighs of bronze, and its legs of iron, the feet partly of iron and partly of clay. And as you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. And then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the, the chaff of the summer uh, threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Okay. So in this dream Nebuchadnezzar is having, he is picturing different nations. Okay. And Daniel will tell him, uh, you, O king, you are the image of gold. See that in um, verses uh, 36 and following? You are the image of gold, verse 38. See that in verse 38? Okay. So he's saying now the head of gold is Babylon. Okay. And then some nations are going to come after that. So the chest and the arms of silver will represent the nation that arose after Babylon, which was the Persians. The Persians. Okay. And then after that, which is represented by the bronze uh, middle section. Then the nation come after that would be the Greeks ruled by Alexander the Great. Okay. And then the legs of iron would be the Roman Empire. Okay. Now, down in verse uh, 44, and you get down to the, to the Roman Empire, he says, in the days of those kings, those kings, the God of heaven shall set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another uh, people. Notice what we just read here in verse uh, 38. Let's see. No, let's go back up. Verse 34. Daniel to the king said, As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. So, what he's saying here is that these nations arose. Babylon came up, and that's the time in which Daniel is living. Okay. That nation would eventually go away, and it did. And then after that, the Persians would come up, and they did, and they were in power for a while, and they would eventually go away, and they did. After that, the ancient world was ruled by Alexander the Great and the, and the Grecian Empire, and they came up and arose, and they went away. Just, just sort of like normal nations go away. Now, but then, during the Roman time, there's going to be a nation that will arise by no human hand. Okay? That's a key that this is going to be something special. Verse 34, by no human hand. And it's going to strike the image. In other words, during the days of the Roman Empire, God's going to take up a kingdom okay, unlike any of these other kingdoms. Okay, it's going to be God's kingdom. 
and he's going to set it up during these days, and it's never going to be uh, destroyed. So, of course, he's referring to the church, the kingdom that we've been talking about here. And a good reference to go along with that is Matthew chapter 16, when Jesus and Peter are talking, and Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, Matthew 16, 16. And Jesus said, Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, Simon. You see, no human hand. Okay. What God is setting up, what God set up, uh, he did set up in the days of the Roman kings, something that God would set up, not flesh and blood revealing this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, Matthew 16, 17. And I say unto you, Peter, I'll give unto you the keys of the kingdom. And, and you remember that, Matthew 16, 18, 19. He said to Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And I'll give unto you the keys of the kingdom. And so Jesus is telling us basically that this kingdom prophesied by Daniel was indeed, in reality, the, the church kingdom that God uh, set up on the day of Pentecost. Okay. All right. So, kingdom in prophecy. Kingdom in prophecy. If the kingdom is uh, hugely important to God, which it is, we would expect to find it in prophecy, and that is one place that we find it. Okay. Now, I want us to think about the kingdom in preparation kingdom on the day of Pentecost, the kingdom as a present reality, and finally the kingdom as an eternal reality or imperfection. Okay. So let's keep those five phases uh, in mind. Okay. Now, let's think about the kingdom being set up on Pentecost for just a second, because we were just in Matthew 16, right? We are just in Matthew 16, and Jesus said to Peter, Upon the great confession you just made, upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. In other words, this kingdom will never be destroyed. And I'll give unto you, Peter, the keys of the kingdom. Okay. And so the keys there are very important because, as we talked about last week, the kingdom was to come upon the apostles whenever the power came upon the apostles. And the power came upon the apostles, according to Acts 1, verse 8, and Acts 2, verse 4, when the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles. Peter was one of the apostles. And on the day of Pentecost, as you recall, Peter stood up and he preached the gospel, he was able to preach the gospel about Jesus because the Holy Spirit had come upon him in a very powerful way. We don't have that promise today. We don't need that promise today because we have the, the written word of God. But they didn't have all that in that day. And so Peter was um, filled with the Holy Spirit and able to preach the gospel. And that's basically what, Peter, uh, what Jesus was saying to Peter in Matthew 16. Well, I'll give unto you the keys of the kingdom. And so Jesus with Peter in Matthew 16 is pointing to the very day of Pentecost. Okay. All right. I want us to think about now Think about prophecy, think about preparation, think about Pentecost, think about it being a present uh, reality, and then finally in the future, okay, it's heaven above. Uh, before we get to the preparation part, I want us to think about uh, the kingdom in present 
uh, reality. Turn with me, and we mentioned this verse last week, Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. Along with, we mentioned last week, um, Revelation 1 verse 9, as we mentioned with John. We mentioned last week with Paul in Colossians 1, 13 and 14, how he says that when we are, when we come to Jesus in obedience, we're, we're brought out of a kingdom of darkness and we're transferred or brought, transformed into the kingdom of his dear son. So when we submit to him, we're brought over into the kingdom out of the kingdom of Satan. Now here in Acts 8, notice that Philip is in Samaria and he is preaching the gospel just like Peter did on Pentecost. But Philip is in Samaria uh, preaching the gospel. And notice uh, down in Acts chapter 8, uh, verse 12. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about what? kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Okay. So notice that Peter comes and part of their gospel proclamation was to talk about the kingdom, the kingdom, the good news, the good news of forgiveness, the good news of, of Jesus reigning over and ruling over your life in the kingdom okay. and the entrance into the kingdom uh, through baptism. So there he's talking about the authority of Jesus. He's talking about the church of Jesus. And he's talking about forgiveness from Jesus. See that in Acts 8 verse 12? The authority of Jesus. The name of Jesus. He's talking about the kingdom of Jesus. And forgiveness from Jesus. So, uh, so notice that, that that's happening. And then notice in Acts 28. While you're in the book of Acts. Turn over to Acts 28. Let's quickly set the history here. Remember, Paul had in mind uh, to get to Rome. He does get to Rome, but he, he, he ends up going to Rome as a prisoner. Okay, he wanted to go there as a, as a free man and just preach the gospel like he's been doing, but he ends up going there as a prisoner. And, but the brethren and other people interested in what Paul had been doing meet him. And they want to know more about what he had been teaching. Notice in Acts 28 and uh, 23. Acts 28, 23. When they had appointed a day for him, that is for Paul, they came to him at his lodging in great numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets. Okay. And some were convinced by what he said, but others did not believe. They disbelieved. Okay. But there Philip is preaching about the kingdom of God. And then there is Paul preaching about the kingdom of God. Because why? Because it's in existence. To preach the kingdom of God is to preach about the name of Jesus. It's to preach about forgiveness of sins. It's about, uh, it's about preaching the living for Christ. Okay. All right. Now, I know we're jumping around a little bit. Let's keep these in mind. The prophecy, the preparation, the day of Pentecost, 
the kingdom as a present reality. Okay. Let's go back to the days of Jesus for a couple minutes and the kingdom in preparation. All right, let's start in Matthew. Let's start in Matthew chapter 11. And I want us to keep in mind as we look at a, a few passages dealing with the, the coming kingdom, think about the fact that, that Jesus is going to talk about uh, entrance into the kingdom. He's going to talk about the importance of the kingdom. He's going to talk about the nature of the kingdom. He's, a, he's going to talk a lot about how that um, when, we are, when we become part of the kingdom, there's certain qualities that has to define us. Okay. In other words, he's going to talk about living as part of the kingdom. Okay. So let's just, let's just notice a few of this. Matthew chapter uh, 11 and we're going to be looking at verses 11 and 12. This is, I believe, Jesus is pointing out the importance of recognizing the kingdom of God. He says, um, Truly I say unto you, Matthew 11, verse 11, Truly I say unto you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than, than John the Baptist. Yet one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Okay. And Jesus is not wanting us to start comparing people and saying, well, he's greater in sort of an arrogant, competitive way. No, all of them recognize that John was indeed a prophet of God. And so Jesus said, now, the kingdom is coming. That very kingdom that John has been talking about is coming. And if you're part of that kingdom then that's going to be something very important. Okay? If you're part of that kingdom, you also are going to be involved in something very, very purposeful, very, very important in the sight of God. Even notice verse 12 here, Matthew 11, verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist unto now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. Okay? This is Matthew recording. So this is simply means as Jesus preached about the kingdom, as John preached about the kingdom, not everybody received it. In fact, some people got real agitated about it. Even down into the book of Acts, the apostles preaching about the kingdom of God, oftentimes they were beaten, oftentimes they were thrown into prison. We just read how Paul arrived in Rome, but he's got to be a prisoner in his own hired lodging there, his own hired house because men were not going to receive this just openly and freely. Many of them would, but then many of them uh, would not. Okay. But he's pointing out the importance of the kingdom. Right. Notice again in Matthew 13 uh, with me, the, how Jesus stresses the importance of the kingdom. Looking down to verse, let's start in verse 43. He tells a couple of short parables but it stresses, it really stresses the importance of the kingdom. Uh, verse, verse 44, Matthew 13, 44, he says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Why? Okay. Because Jesus said the kingdom's like that. He would, this great treasure, he would go and, sell all he has so he can go buy that field and get that treasure. The kingdom of heaven is just that important 
as well. Now look back in Matthew 12 with me for a second. Jesus again talking about the kingdom. Oftentimes Jesus would show his power by the miracles that he did. He would show his power by casting out demons uh, sometimes. So in Matthew chapter 12, verse 22 and following, we have an occasion where Jesus uh, cast out demons. Now how do, how do the uh, Jews respond to this? Who remembers this particular account? How do the Jews respond to Jesus casting out demons? What do they say? Hmm? That Jesus is a devil? Yeah, he, he cast out demons by the power of the devil himself. Okay. Notice verse 24. But when the Pharisees heard it, Matthew 12, 24, they said, it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man cast out demons. Okay. But Jesus explains, verse 28, if it is by the spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Okay. Jesus explains that, you know, if I was working for Satan, why would I be casting out demons? A house divided against itself cannot stand. But the truth is, Jesus was casting out demons by the power of God, by the Spirit of God, by the Spirit of God. And he said, if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom is coming upon you. So the kingdom first is coming, but it's coming with power. All right. And so Jesus has given us a preview of the type of power that comes with the kingdom. Okay. And I believe what he's saying here is, that you can rest assured that this kingdom is from heaven above and not from uh, some man. I think that's, you know, I think that's what the Bible says about uh, these miracles that were performed, that it assured people that the message about the kingdom was from heaven up above and not from somebody on earth. Okay. Right. Now, let's look at... Um, couple passages in the book of Luke. Let's turn over to Luke chapter uh, 22. Luke chapter 22. Still thinking about the preparation phase. Jesus is getting people ready to, um, to be part of the kingdom. And let's, let's notice how he gets people ready to worship in the kingdom. To worship in the kingdom. Luke chapter uh, 22. We're going to be looking down to verses 28 uh, and 29. Luke 22, uh, 28 and 29. Speaking to his apostles, verse, verse 28. See this? Luke 22:28. 28. He says, You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you as my Father assigned to me, I assign to you or appoint to you a kingdom. Okay, a kingdom. And what he's saying there is that the apostles would be very instrumental there in the early days of the church in going about teaching like, like Peter on the day of Pentecost and like John and then later like Paul and Barnabas and Philip uh, going about preaching the kingdom of God. I'm, I'm 
As the Father has appointed me in this work, I'm appointing you. Now notice in verse um, 30, he says that you may eat and drink at my table uh, in my kingdom. In my kingdom. Okay. And so Jesus is preparing them not only to do the work of the kingdom, but to eventually commune with him at the Lord's table, the Lord's communion, what we observe on the, on the first day of the week with the unleavened bread and the fruit of the vine on the resurrection day of our Lord. I'm appointing to you uh, this type of worship in my kingdom. Okay. Jesus is placing the table, the table of the Lord, uh, in the kingdom. He's preparing them to get ready to worship in that way. See. Interestingly, uh, hold your place there and turn over to 1 Corinthians uh, 10. And notice this is a letter to the church at Corinth. And... Notice verse 21, as he's instructing them, Paul's instructing them about taking the Lord's Supper, and he wanted them to be very dedicated to the Lord and not try to serve both the Lord and Satan in the world. Notice verse 21 of 1 Corinthians 10, he says, You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. So Jesus is getting his followers ready there in the book of Luke to do what is taking place there in Corinth and other places, and that is to partake of the kingdom. Paul's explaining, look, you can't, you can't be half-hearted about this. If you're going to come in here and take the communion on the first day of the week, then you've got to be all in. You've got to be serving the Lord every day of your life. He's got to be your first. He's got to be your priority. He's got to be your God and your Lord. Okay? He's got to be your king if you're going to be in his kingdom. If you're going to be his servant, he's, you got, he's got to be your master. Okay? And so I want us to see uh, the pre in the preparation uh, for the kingdom, Jesus begins to talk about how you get into the kingdom, of course. Uh, last week in John 3, we talked about how that when you're born of water and the spirit, uh, then... Uh, you come into the kingdom of God. Okay. Except you be born of water and the Spirit, John 3, 3 through 5, uh, you cannot be in the kingdom of God. But through that process, you, you're part of the kingdom. So he taught, in preparing people for the kingdom, he talks about entrance into the kingdom. Okay. In preparing people for the kingdom, he talks about worship in the kingdom. Okay. But also in preparing us for the kingdom, he talks about what type of people are going to be living as kingdom servants. Now let me ask you this. In Matthew 18, Jesus is dealing with his disciples and their pride. Who does he call to be in the midst of them? A little child. Okay. And he said, he talks about the great, you know, being great in the kingdom of God. He said, Except you humble yourself and become as little children. Remember that, Matthew 18, 1 through 4? Except you humble yourself and become as little children, you can't be in the kingdom of God. Okay. And so all of what Jesus teaches in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is getting us ready to live as servants in his kingdom. A big part of that is humility. 
to go along with that, look at Matthew chapter 20. Still dealing with this pride issue among his um, disciples. You'll remember this, Matthew 20 and verse 20. Here comes the mother, Matthew 20, verse 20. Here comes the mother of the sons of Zebedee. He came up to Jesus with her sons and kneeling before him, she said, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? She said, say that these two sons of mine are to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. He says, you don't know what you're asking. He's very disappointed in this request. Now, the world does this, don't they? The world wants to give every advantage for their kids. The world, worldly parents, they want to promote their kids in the world. They want their, they want their kids to be known in the world. Jesus is disappointed in this. Okay. You don't know what you're asking. And then he goes on to say, you'll remember in verse 26 to 28 here of Matthew uh, 20. He says, It shall not be so among you, but whoever will be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, he didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's the type of people God is looking for to be in his kingdom. Okay. He's pointing out the importance of his kingdom. He's pointing out the entrance into his kingdom. He's pointing out worship in his kingdom. But he especially points out the qualities of the people who would live in his kingdom. Okay. And one big quality that Jesus keeps pointing out is humility. Humility. Okay. Look in Matthew 19, if you're still right there close uh, to Matthew 20. You recall the rich young ruler had come to Jesus and he had great possessions, but he would not submit uh, to Jesus. And then here's, here's what is said by Jesus. Matthew 19, 23. Matthew 19, 23. Jesus said to his disciples, Truly, truly, I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter into the kingdom of heaven. Okay, in other words, it's very hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Not impossible, but money and riches are very alluring. And they take priority oftentimes. They take allegiance in our lives. So he continues, Matthew 19, 24. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they, they were greatly astonished, saying, what did they ask here? Who then can be what? Saved. Now connect that to the kingdom. Salvation is in the kingdom. The kingdom means those who are saved. All right. They were astonished because their mind had been on an earthly type kingdom. And if you're going to have an earthly political kingdom, you've got to have money 
your focus has got to be possessions and money and power. That's not the nature of the kingdom. That's not the type of people Jesus is looking for. He's looking for servants. And for those willing to put him first and foremost in their hearts and lives. Okay. And he admits and he warns us that if we focus on those types of things you can see, then it will be very difficult to ever understand uh, his kingdom. Okay. Look in Luke 17 with me. I, I find it a little bit uh, fascinating to notice how that Jesus keeps preparing people in his day for the coming kingdom. In Luke 17, 20 and 21. Luke 17, 20 and 21. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God will come. Why would they be asking him that? Because he's talking about it a lot. So when is the kingdom of God going to come? The, Jesus answered them, Luke 17, 20. The kingdom of God does not come with signs to be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. Within you. Now question, are you in the kingdom or is the kingdom in you? Hmm? Both. There you go. Both. It's both. Okay. Now, the Pharisees and even Jesus' disciples, they're thinking of the old days. They're thinking of David, Solomon. They're thinking conquering. They're looking for the Messiah to come. And he's going to cast aside all these Roman officials. And it's going to be a political, material kingdom like the old glory days. Okay? Fighting victories and Jesus will take his place on a literal throne. Okay? They misunderstood all that. Okay? It's not going to be something where uh, a whole army of men are marching into a city and they're taking over. Look, there it comes. Look, here, it's finally here. He's finally here. No, it's going to be ruled by humility and service and love okay, and devotion from the heart. And then he says, the kingdom of God is within you. When you submit to God, like Jesus said concerning the new birth, then that places you in the kingdom. But the reason you're willing to submit to God is because Jesus is ruling within your hearts. So it's both. The kingdom rule of Jesus is in your heart. Therefore, you're willing to submit to him and allow him to add you to his kingdom. Okay. So it's both. The kingdom's within us and we are also uh, in the kingdom. Okay. So notice how that the prophets spoke of the kingdom coming. Jesus and John and the apostles spoke of, of the kingdom coming, preparing the world. The kingdom came on the day of Pentecost. Okay, another word for the kingdom is the church. Another word for the church is the body of Christ. Another word for the body of Christ is the household of God. Okay. The, the body of Christ, the church, the household of God, the kingdom came on the day of Pentecost. All the passages after that 
speak of living as Christians or living in the kingdom, living under the submission, the rule of Jesus Christ. Okay. And finally, let's look at the kingdom imperfection. We mentioned last week, let's start over there. Let's run over to 1 Corinthians uh, 15. Okay. And we'll go ahead and notice this as people are coming in because I want to get this complete in our mind. 1 Corinthians 15 talks about that when the Lord does come, second coming, that He will deliver up the kingdom to the Father. Okay, just make note of that in 1 Corinthians 15, 23 to 25. He's going to deliver the kingdom up uh, to His Father. You see that? What verse is that especially, particularly? 24? Okay. Note verse 24 especially. All right. Now go from there. Go from there and look at um, 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. Starting in verse 10, Peter had talked about several qualities like love and brotherly affection and, and temperance, self-control and knowledge and virtue and patience. And so verse 10, 2 Peter 1, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom, eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior. When Jesus comes again, He's not going to come to this earth and establish a kingdom. The kingdom is already here. Okay. But He's going to come and we will meet Him in the air. Okay. And He's going to deliver the kingdom those of us who have made Jesus the heart of our life, allowing Him to rule over our hearts, He's going to deliver that kingdom to God. That's going to be heaven. That's what Peter is mentioning here. Peter's saying, if you stay faithful, then you will have that entrance into the eternal kingdom. Okay. The kingdom in perfection, if you want to call it that. Eternal kingdom. But unless we are first in, in the kingdom as it is right now, in present reality, then we won't be delivered into the eternal kingdom. And so a good overview is to notice that it's mentioned in prophecy. Jesus and John prepared the world for it, came on the day of Pentecost. You read about it being existing in action after the day of Pentecost. And the hope, the strong hope we have, is that there will be an eternal kingdom waiting on us in heaven. We can be part of that. Okay. The second coming of our Lord, many things are going to happen on that day. We will meet the Lord in the air. Uh, the earth will be destroyed. Uh, those in the graves will be resurrected. Jesus will divide the sheep from the goats, it will be the beginning of an eternal hell 
for some and the beginning of the eternal kingdom uh, for others. It will be a great day, but it has not come yet. Uh, we're still in this phase of time in history, and we need to give ourselves to his devotion and to let him rule uh, in our lives. Okay. So I wanted us to see these five phases of the kingdom and um, as kind of an overview and extension of the things that we had said uh, last week. Appreciate very much you being in class.